Nerd listeners, welcome back to the Kiss Me Quicks podcast. This is your favorite sexy librarian, Rose Carraway. I am so glad to be back, you guys. Um, oh my God, it's 2015. I am really excited about this year. There's a lot of awesome stuff that's going to be happening over here at Stupid Fish Productions. Uh, you know, I can't tell you, you lovely longtime Lurid listeners, how appreciative uh, we are, myself and Big Daddy. Uh, you know, when we first started it, we didn't know what to expect. We started this back in 2011, and we thought we would just be mostly doing it for ourselves. And since then, we have had millions and millions of downloads. And oh my gosh, you guys, I'm I'm so grateful. I, I thank you guys so much. And and I've seen the messages left for me on Facebook and on Twitter and everywhere saying, when's the next episode coming out? The the responses that we have been getting, you know, just all of you guys checking in, it really touched us. We were um, very happy and and uh, very eager to get the next episode out to you, uh, you know, to, to kind of satisfy your needs. Uh, but again, it's it's so cool to see all of you guys. You've become this sort of community uh, all by yourselves. And I, thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Uh, it's it's amazing. At long last, we are back, you guys. We're ready to rock. Uh, we've got a fantastic episode for you today. Um, but the reason we had to take a break is we we needed to take care of some some details, such as the new artwork that is representing us in iTunes. It's up and it's beautiful. It's blue. Uh, it's still got the KMQ girl on there, but it is very striking whenever you guys are looking through the menu of uh, sexuality. So we're we're definitely popping much better now. So make sure you tell your friends. Search for the um, the KMQ podcast. It looks blue. Um, also, we've got the website. We gave the web the website a facelift, and it is also much more user friendly. It's very simple. Everything is very easily accessed. And most importantly, it is now mobile friendly. So you guys can get it on all your devices, your iPhones or your your Android phones and uh, your iPad. So um, yay, that's been a long time in the making. And I'm so glad that we finally got all that taken care of. And the plan with 2015 is to definitely stay true to our roots. Uh, the show, we are advertisement free. Everything we do, everything we put out here from the stories, either written by myself or other authors, other guest narrators, and including especially the music, everything is for free for you. It's available all the time. Um, and we want to keep that going through 2015. And so any sort of, quote, commercial stuff that we do, it is always, always to better the show and to support and sustain the show. So uh, without further ado, I do want to go ahead and dive right in. We want to, um, you know, and I've got today, I've got a story by Janine Ashbless. She is one of the featured authors in The Sexy Librarian's Big Book of Erotica. She um, wrote the story Three Legs in the Evening, and it has received so many compliments. People are referring to her story in their reviews in Amazon, and I know that that means a lot to her, uh, but especially it does to me because I know I made the right choice. It felt good to me, uh, and I, I knew it would feel good to you guys. So I asked her to write another story to offer up for you guys, specifically for you lurid listeners. And she has given me a fabulous story, and I can't wait to bring it to you. Um, much like the Sexy Librarian's Big Book of Erotica, you guys know that the KMQ brings its variety, and you will definitely get a good taste of that with this story that's coming. Um, now, all of you guys, all of you lovely lurid listeners out there know that the way to support this show is to go to audible.com and buy the audiobooks that I have narrated and that my husband has produced. Um, we've done several best-selling audiobooks, and Sexy Librarian is one of them. Uh, the very first one was Gotta Have It, which was about eight hours. And then I did uh, The Big Book of Orgasms, which was eight and a half hours. And both of those were edited by the awesome Rachel Kramer Bustle. So I had a really good uh, role model in putting my own book together. 
But the sexy librarian, you guys, is 11 hours long. So you are definitely going to get your money's worth. And the stories are badass. So, and that, you know, goes without saying. Um, it has been ranking in the top 10 bestsellers in Audible. And that is stunning. That is stunning. I was so nervous in putting this book together because I wanted, obviously, to make a bestseller. But, you know, you don't know if it's going to be. And you kind of go through the insecure thing and oh, doubt just kind of kills you a little bit. But then seeing it there. Every single day. It has not dropped off. It has been up there ranking in top 10 for months. And I have all of you guys to thank for that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I appreciate your support and your generosity because I know that your time is valuable. And so I do try to bring you the very best that I absolutely can. Um, so The Sexy Librarian is the biggest audiobook that we have done by far. And um, I, I do encourage you to grab a copy. Um, Normally, whenever we are promoting an audiobook that we've done, we'll play samples, but I didn't want to do that with this book. As I've said before, um, I wanted to bring you something new because I want that audiobook to be a new experience as soon as you push play. So uh, that it's something for you guys to look forward to. Um, so here, I do want to offer up, I had the pleasure of talking with Janine Ashbliss over at the Sexy Librarian Blogcast. And we had a fabulous conversation, and she talked about writing her story, Three Legs in the Evening. Um, and here's a little clip. I wanted you guys to get a little taste of Janine Ashbliss. Even narrating this, I've read this story so many times, narrating it, I got goosebumps. In my excitement, I was just, oh. So I want to let people know, straight from the title, Three Legs in the Evening, I'm very curious. The name Janine Ashbless. Yes, okay, I'm definitely in so far. I get to some interesting parts. The second paragraph. He's a well-built man, as far as she could tell. So a lady we know is uh, coming up to meet a fellow. And we don't know who the lady is until the very end, so we're not going to give that away. But yep. this, well, this well-built man, and what she could see of his face was handsome though most was masked by a strip of linen bound several times about his eye sockets. As to what lay beneath the bandage, she knew the stories. So immediately I'm going, there's some familiarity here, but I didn't know what. Like, I still wasn't ready until I got to this sentence, and I got nervous. The sentence is, He'd gouged his own eyes with his wife's cloak pin in horror at his crime. I knew immediately what the hell you sent to me. And then I went, oh, dear God, what did she send to me? Should I be worried? <laughs> I have to ask you, why did you write this story? <laughs> um, I like writing stories that... Um, that I have to think about, that I have to think about how far I can go and, and, and what um, I can say that isn't obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I like writing stories um, which takes the characters that might not necessarily be sympathetic, that people might have preconceptions about, and, um, and doing something with them that will make them understandable and human. And um, so that you can relate to them, even reluctantly. In fact, perhaps especially reluctantly. Yeah. Um, and so this is this is a story. This is the story of Oedipus, um, told in his own words. Um, and I thought it was a, a fantastic challenge and a really something that really interested me. Oh my gosh, you guys! Three Legs in the Evening, the story of Oedipus, like the real story of Oedipus, the story that I want to know, um, couldn't have been written better. Uh, you guys, Janine Ashbless, whenever I got that story, uh, I was completely starstruck. I was so honored to have gotten her story. And then in reading it, I fell in love with it. And I was so thrilled that she agreed to write another story for the KMQ, for you guys, because I want you to get a sense of her style. It's about the characters and their environment and, and what's going through their mind and, and when they are. And uh, Janine Ashbless 
brought it and you guys will love it. Go to Audible, pick up the book, the audiobook, or go buy the hard copy uh, at Amazon. You will not be disappointed. And by the way, if you have not yet signed up to Audible, just so you know, Audible does not sponsor the show. They do not pay me to to pimp them, but it's a pretty good damn deal. If you go to audible.com, sign up for a membership, it's like $14 or $15 a month or something. And every single month you get a credit. So when you sign up, you get a free audiobook. And then every month, you will be able to get a free audiobook. Most audiobooks, especially of the size that I put out there, they're they're over $20 unless you have a membership and then they knock off a huge percentage. So take advantage of it if you haven't yet. So I say sign up, get a free awesome audiobook, and then cancel. I would just ask if you love it, then leave a review so that other people who might be interested will be encouraged to buy it or download it for free themselves, too. So, um, yeah, sign up, leave a review, and then cancel that thing if you want. Or take advantage of it, a free audiobook every single month. Eh, I'm in. I love it. I've also got another author event. I am going to be at the South San Francisco Public Library on Saturday, February 7th at 2 p.m. It's on the weekend, so I think that that'll work out for a lot of you guys. It's also at a library, so I hope that um, a lot more of you will will be able to show up because the sex toy stores are kind of small and there's not much room, but the library, it's made for this kind of thing. So I'm going to be there. Big Daddy's going to be there. Uh, I'm going to talk about being an erotica author, an editor, audiobook narrator, blogger, and podcaster. So Um, And I'm thinking I might pick a story to read while I'm there. So if you want to take advantage of a live author event, I will be at the South San Francisco Public Library on Saturday, February 7th at 2 p.m. And I do hope to see you guys there. That'll be cool. All right, everybody, without further ado, I know I have been talking a lot, but there's been a lot that's gone on. It's a new year and, you know, I had to catch you all up. So it is without further ado that I present to you an amazing story written by Janine Ashbless, The Ingenue. window of the music room on the upper floor of the villa, Zephim could see the man crucified in the rose garden below. She felt her heart thump against her breastbone as she realized what she was looking at. Her fingers fell from the pianoforte keyboard. He was quite tall, his arms spread as if embracing the world, his head tilted back and to the side. He seemed to be naked. Zephine pushed back her stool and stood, feeling lightheaded. The sound of the scales she'd been practicing still echoed in her head, like the echo of hurrying footfalls. She wondered if she should follow the descending notes down the stairs and out into the garden. Had the man out there heard her play? Should she find her aunt and ask her what was happening? She'd been told to stay out of the way because every servant in the villa was busy preparing for the party, and the house was in chaos. That was the only reason she'd come up to the music room of her own volition. She didn't know if going out into the garden would count as getting underfoot, though she knew there was a long table being laid with fine white linen on the terrace, and that the gardeners had been hammering the iron spikes of great flambeau around the grounds. Zephine rather feared annoying her aunt, to whom she owed so much. She went down anyway, past the maids polishing the crystals on the chandeliers, and the housekeeper directing the arrangements of hothouse flowers, and the footmen carrying furniture from room to room. She slipped out through the veranda doors, and down through the parterre to the rose garden beyond. From ground level, It seemed a far more private space, and it took her a moment to spot the man through the bushes. 
The scent of the roses lay heavy on the still afternoon air. Her little boots clicked on the brick paving. She did not quite have the courage to approach him directly, but stopped and stared through a tangle of green leaves and white blossom. No, he was not entirely naked. There was a gray silk scarf knotted loosely about his hips, and the dangling ends veiled his private parts. That was a relief. More so that he was not in fact nailed to the wooden cross which had been planted in the rose bed. His arms and ankles were secured to the beams with crimson rope, much like the ones that held back the velvet drapes in the drawing room. But it certainly looked cruel, with his arms out at full stretch and his shoulders pulled back. To Zephine, it was eerily reminiscent of the carved crucifixes she was used to in church, even down to the slight angle of his hips in their makeshift loincloth and the ragged dark hair framing a drawn and unshaven face. He was a Christ formed in flesh and bone, if Christ had had Slavic cheekbones and a broken nose and hair sprinkled with gray. He was, she guessed, one of those foreign poets her aunt cultivated at her salons, or perhaps an anarchist, although his beard wasn't really long enough for that. He certainly looked lean enough to be an artist of some description, with none of the mutton-fed plumpness of the moneyed classes. His muscles stood out like the charcoal lines of an anatomical study, and under his ribcage, his stomach was stretched, flat and taut. Zephine pursed her mouth, deeply uncomfortable. Her aunt did so encourage those frightening, half-civilized men, and the more they railed against bourgeois hypocrisy and sneered at the moral bankruptcy of the ruling classes as they helped themselves to her wine and her canapé, the more she seemed amused by them. Of course, Zephine was rarely allowed to stay and listen at the salons, despite being no longer a child. In deference to the way her late mother had brought her up, her aunt took care not to expose the young woman to the offensive language or shocking opinions of such a radical circle. Good day, monsieur, she started to say, but the words died in her throat. She clenched her hands in helpless embarrassment. It seemed crazy to address a near-naked prisoner in such feebly polite terms. But she had no idea what else to say. She didn't even know if he was conscious. Cautiously, she began to circle the man, always keeping a rosebush between herself and him. What on earth could he be doing here? Was this part of some artistic endeavor, some tableau vivant, being prepared for the party? She knew her aunt's pastimes were unconventional and that her reputation raised eyebrows. But really, this was in terribly bad taste. The man was all but exposed. She could see his whole torso and his bare thighs and the contoured cheeks of his buttocks. His skin was rather pale. They were all pasty, those artists. They spent too much time lurking in dark cafes, drinking disgusting herbal liqueurs that did them no good at all. And his body hair, very dark in contrast. There was a line of it up his belly, all the way from the silk loincloth to the fan of hair that nested his nipples. Zephine was a little startled, to see that those nipples, dark, unlike her own pale buds, were standing proud. She hadn't thought that men's would do that in the same way that hers did, reacting to a cool breeze or a stray thought. 
Right now, under the silk and cotton layers of her dress and her corsetry and her undergarments, her nipples were tingling almost painfully, as if in sympathy with his. She licked her dry lips. Opening his eyes and turning his head to fix upon her, he said, You can come closer, if you like. It made her jump as if guilty, though what she should be guilty of was something she couldn't have expressed. His eyes were gray, not dark, as pale as the plumage of her aunt's parrot, the one that lived in a gilt cage in the conservatory and quoted Rousseau. She found the bird quite frightening, with its wicked beak and its inscrutable stare, and her reaction to this man was not dissimilar. Why are you tied up? Zephine asked. It was not a polite question at all, but she was flustered and nervous. She even retreated a couple of steps. Ha! <laughs> he smiled a crooked, most unchristlike smile, but didn't answer. Those pale eyes had that intensity she associated with poets and lunatic radicals. Does it hurt? He looked from one forearm to the other, opening and clenching his hands experimentally. It's not comfortable. Concern jumped within her. I'll untie you, she said, starting forward, but he stopped her with a frown. I wouldn't do that if I were you. Madame de Villiers would be very angry. Zephine swallowed. She knew her aunt possessed a cold but formidable temper at times, and she had no wish to upset the woman who had provided her with a home and who had been so good to her. She's my aunt. Then you know why I'm tied up. Zephine shook her head. I don't. I'm not allowed. I am part of the entertainment for the party tonight. Her imagination simply could not encompass what that might entail, except that she suspected blasphemy. She bit her lip. What's your name, Shelley? Zephine. Well, you don't need to hide, Zephine. She shifted her feet but did not step away from the shelter of the rosebush. What's yours? Piata. She'd been right about him being foreign then, and his French was accented, though only a little an educated man from his speech. It didn't make her feel less jumpy. St. Peter was crucified upside down, she pointed out. Ah, you're convent educated, are you, Zephine? For some reason that seemed to amuse him, she nodded. Come closer, he repeated, lowering his voice. Let me see my inquisitor. She shuffled forward from cover, reluctantly. His dark half-smile was discomforting. Everything about him made her feel wrong within herself, as if her skin no longer fit. That's better. He did not bother to hide his scrutiny of her, from the pale blue hair ribbon to the matching toes of her satin boots, and all the territory in between. Judging her, no doubt, she thought. Such a well-dressed young lady as she was must rouse the particular derision of a political radical. She found herself annoyed at the thought, annoyed that he should be finding her so amusing. Everyone always looked down upon her, the orphaned niece, the naive girl, the pretty, inconsequential young woman. But he had no right, she thought, not tied up as he was, so pathetically helpless, so undignified in his déshabille. What had he to feel superior about, with his bare feet planted in the rosebed among crumbs of horse manure? She drew up her chin and met his gaze. You're pretty, he observed. Small, yet you look strong. 
Your lovers must be fighting one another for your favor. Blood flared in her cheeks, but she set her jaw. What are you suggesting, monsieur? I have no suitors yet. I've been gently raised. You must be cruel to them, Zephine. What? she said, forgetting her manners in her surprise. Cruel. So that they will love you. Spurn them, mock them, hurt them. They will worship you. That's a terrible thing to say. It is human nature. The man, Pieter, drew his upper lip through his teeth. We love those that beat and break us. Men love the Lamia. Women love the brute. When you fall in love, little Zephine, it will be with a man who ignores you most of the time, whose eyes turn constantly to other women, and who, when he makes carnal use of you, will do so roughly and with savage appetite, not sparing your tender body as he takes animal possession of it. His crude words sent a wave of heat through her skin. You're quite wrong. I am determined that I will marry a kindly man. I don't doubt it. Yet afterwards, you will fall in love with one who will take your tranquil heart and cast it in the flames of hell. As I said, it is human nature. We yearn to be unhappy, you think? She scoffed. If you like. Rather, we yearn to be mastered. Her voice was a little unsteady now. That's a strange thing for an anarchist to say, isn't it? I thought your kind claimed that we all strive to be free. I am an anarchist, then? Are you not? You've just damned all of civilization. A slight lowering of his eyelids admitted she had a point. I am a man, he answered, who recognizes the dark beast within himself, and lest it makes me the lickspittle slave of a society whose rotten soul I see only too clearly, I let the beast feed here. Here? In this garden, at the pleasure of Madame de Villiers. Zephine could not answer. She stood with her lower lip thrust out, glaring. Come closer, he said for the third time, his voice dropping again, soft and dark as soot. Touch me. Why? Because you want to. The anger twisted in her entrails once more. You presume a great deal. Have you ever touched a man's bare flesh before? There was a glitter in his eye. I thought not. So naturally you wish to know what it is like. She wanted to slap him for his rudeness. After all, he added, jerking his wrists to demonstrate his constraint. It's not as if I can hurt you. She would have liked to laugh at him, but her face was all hot and stiff. She wanted to prick the bladder of his arrogance, and as she turned away, see him slump, crestfallen. But his eyes wouldn't let her. His eyes held hers. They saw past her pride and her agitation to the animal curiosity that had drawn her down from her high window into the garden. Something about that truth in his eyes drew her. Clenching her jaw, she stepped forward. If his arms had been free, she would now be within their compass. She couldn't help checking with little flickering glances that the crimson crisscrosses of his bonds were real, that his forearms really were secured to the timbers. The ropes were not tight, she thought. They didn't really bite into his flesh, the way she thought they would, but they seemed to be snug. She lifted a hand and touched him on the lower ribs, 
and Piata took a deep breath so that she felt his chest expand. His skin was surprisingly warm, warm and smooth like satin and ridged with bone like the corset she wore beneath her dress. You smell so sweet, he whispered, fresh as spring. She thought to herself that she could not return the compliment. The scent that reached her own nose, bare skin and a little sweat, was not at all unpleasant, but it was an aroma that seemed to demand attention, savory sweet and yeasty, like a hot oven full of new-baked bread. Her throat worked at the thought. Was she hungry? Everything was confused, sensation and conscious and understanding all mixed up and nothing clear anymore. Least of all how she came to be standing here face to face with a crucified anarchist, touching him. She felt as lightheaded as she had looking out of that music room window, and she knew if she lifted her hand away from his skin, it would be trembling. Not that scary, she said under her breath. From his exposed armpits jutted tufts of dark thistle-down hair. They looked utterly incongruous against those ridges of muscle. In fact, they looked so soft that she felt an urge to stroke them. Instead, she shifted her touch to his stomach, to the vertical stripe of hair that divided his torso like a road across an alien landscape. Her fingertips rode its length, exploring the texture of the short hairs. Piata made a noise in his throat, and she saw his chin dimple as he bit the inside of his lip. Something made her look down, and her jaw dropped. Below, where her fingertips lingered, something had changed. When she'd approached the bound man, the silk scarf that preserved his modesty had hung flat, or nearly so. Now it leaned out from his body, draping the thing which swelled beneath. Something that moved. Zephine's lips shaped a circle of shock. She froze as the blood rushed up into her cheeks and started pounding in her eardrums. Suddenly, her clothes felt too tight and too hot. Oh, look what you've done to me, Zephine. His voice was soft, thick, heavy, loaded with the knowledge of that forbidden tree of Eden. Me? He smiled. Take a look. It would be easy to uncover him, the moving aside of a flop of silk. That was all. I... I mustn't. Don't you want to know what a man bears between his legs, little Safine? I know. As his voice grew deeper, hers was becoming higher and more wispy. I mean, I've seen the statues at the Louvre, of course. The statues of the Roman gods and heroes, so incongruously nonchalant in their exposure. And she'd sat gossiping with other girls at school and listened to the stories the rumors as wild and unbelievable as any classical myth. Of course she knew. But Piata's smile became more mocking. Oh, the Louvre? I think you're in for a shock, Zephine. Why? Take a look. When she did not obey, he added, Are you afraid? How can you be afraid of me, Zephine? Her pride prickled. How could she be? He was bound, spread-eagled, helpless. He could not be more vulnerable, nor less of a threat to her. Why, then, was she feeling like this? Clumsily, she pulled aside the flaps of silk. They clung to him a little, as if his skin was damp, 
and she felt across her hand the impatient nudge of what lay beneath. Then the cloth was gone, and she could see. He was nothing like a statue from the Louvre. He was flushed, dark, hairy, and erect. His phallus stood out at an impossible angle to what seemed like a monstrous size. It looked like a weapon. Now, touch it. There was no mistaking the authority in his voice, and Zephine had run dry of protest or questions, of any words at all. She looked once into his eyes, and then obeyed. Running her fingers down his shaft, it kicked against her as if in irritation, and she jumped. Take it in your hand. How does it feel? Her fingers barely circled its girth. Hot, she whispered. Hard. There was a peculiar satisfaction to its bulk and strength, too, though she couldn't put that into words. Do you like it? His voice was a murmur now. It likes you, Zephine. Very much. She didn't know if she liked it. She just knew that this made her feel as if nothing else in her life had ever mattered. My aunt will be so angry, she said. To her surprise, a surge ran through the flesh in her grip, and it grew even harder. Yes. His eyes were darker now, the pupils dilated. She will beat me. Zephine's own eyes, which had been strangely heavy, shot open. Surely not. She will, with a riding crop or a garden cane or a leather strap. She can't do that to you. Doubt crept in then. Can she? She's done it before, Zephine. She left me covered in broken welts all across my chest and my thighs and my derriere. What for? In her shock, Zephine could not help thinking of the flagellation of Christ. In the church at her school, the Stations of the Cross were depicted with wax models of startling realism. One, in particular, always drew her. The whipped and bloody body of Christ, kneeling in his agony, horrified and fascinated and full of pity. She feared it, but she'd spent hours gazing at it. She wondered if Piata would resemble that, if he were to be horsewhipped. For her pleasure. She swallowed. I will let you go. Yet her hand did not desert its post, gripping his thick meat. He shook his head, just a twitch. I don't want you to, Zephine. But it will hurt. Very much so. Aren't you frightened? I'm sick with fear. His lip crooked in a thin smile. You're my only comfort, ma chérie. Move your hand, Zephine. Move it up and down my cock. I, I don't think I should. But you must. And if you do, I will tell you what else happens at these parties your aunt throws. Zephine bit her lip, but her resistance was only momentary. She wanted to know. Indeed, she felt she had to now. Her hand began to slide up his shaft, stroking the hot flesh. Good girl. A little firmer. Oh, yes, that's right. He cleared his throat and blinked, his eyes starting to lose focus. Tonight. Oh, there will be so many people here tonight, Zephine. After you are tucked safe in your virgin bed. People from the highest and most respectable echelons of society. And from the lowest. Though the poor must be very beautiful to be invited inside these walls, or prodigiously talented. In the twilight, the torches will be lit, musicians will play, and all the food and drink you might ever want will be laid out upon the tables. Our salvos will be the bare bodies of young women and men, 
their nipples garnished with cream and gold leaf, their open thighs displaying the most delectable of banquets. A bath will be filled with champagne, and in it will lie a young beauty, offering her cup for anyone to drink from. From under the trees, in the dark, will come softer cries of pleasure and sharper gasps of pain. But do not worry, Zephine. On a night such as this, the pain is only part of the pleasure. The world is turned upside down in this place, and the ancient iron-clad laws of civilization are dissolved. Men are used as women. Women rule as men. The rich bow before the poor, and the great beg indulgences of the lowly. Tonight, were you to mingle with the guests, you might see a bishop on his hands and knees, a bridle about his head and a bit in his mouth, being ridden by a fair whore clad only in spurs, while another plunges a huge horsetail plug between his willing cheeks. You might see a general of the army spread-eagled upon the lawn, and a queue of matrons taking it in turn to straddle him and lift their skirts so that they might relieve themselves upon his face. You might, if you were inclined, seek me out here among the roses. Beneath her hot, tightly corseted dress, Zephine was melting, her body dissolving into trembling, boneless weakness, her long drawers clinging to her moist skin and growing sodden with the flow of her sex. She felt almost as if she would faint, and it was all she could do to cling to the great solid stake in her hand. And what, what will they be doing to you? She asked. They will do anything they like to me. I'm bound, tight, and cannot defend myself. Oh, I will thrash and strain against my bonds and cry out in protest, but they will laugh at my rage and mock my entreaties. Some of them will be cruel and hurt me. They'll strike me and tie weights about my ball pouch and abuse my manhood. They'll slap my face and bite my nipples and stroke my crotch with stinging nettles until my cock and stones burn. Others, others will be kindly, and that is worse. They will caress me until my balls are bursting, but deny me satisfaction until I am screaming with lust. I will not be able to turn away anyone, man or woman, young or old. Anyone may make easy with me. As for Madame de Villiers, oh, she likes best to administer a good hard whipping. She likes to hear me plead for mercy. His hips were juddering now, and his cock like iron. Zephine could only imagine what it would take to humble this man and his proud member. Part of her was horrified at the thought, and another part, avid. Eventually she will tire of seeing me on the cross and she will give the signal for my deposition. But that won't mean I am free. My hands will be tied at the ring at the base there, so that I am kneeling. My legs will be bound apart like an ox yoke. You would be able to see my most private parts exposed, Zephine, if you were there. The narrative hung. She was expected to respond. How terrible for you, she whispered. It is unbearable. That is the point when Madame de Villiers will give permission to any man whom she favors. That he might take carnal pleasure of me. Thus my humiliation will be complete, and everyone will witness it as I am used and sodomized. Oh good God, Zephine, use your nails, dig your nails into me, please, now! She hardly knew what he meant, 
but she sank her nails of both hands into the base of his cock and raked it from root to crown. Confusion lent her spite, and she was not gentle. Piata gave a great gasp. There was a sudden warm, wet gush in her hands, and she looked down and saw white gouts of semen spurting from his member onto her dress. Zephine shrieked and tried to stop the flow, but the jets only pulsed out between her wild fingers and turned her grip into a slithering caress. Even as he gave himself up to his crisis and heaved up against his bonds, muscles straining and body taut, even as he called blasphemously upon God, his teeth were bared in joy. Zephine slapped him across the face. Then she ran. She ran out of the rose garden and across the lawn and through the gate into the vegetable patch beyond. She didn't stop until she reached the gardener's shed with its iron pump outside. Shame and guilt and a dark and triumphant glee boiled between her legs. She ached to the core with a hot need. Heaving up on the handle, she raised enough water to wash her hands, but the spurting gush of the water itself made her tremble. There were loops of pearly spunk splashed across the blue silk bodice of her dress. She scrubbed at them with her wet fingers, but she could not erase the stain. For Stupid Fish Productions, this is Rose Carraway. That was Janine Ashbless's The Ingenue. I do hope you enjoyed it. I loved narrating it. And I thank you once again, Janine Ashbless, for letting me narrate your words. They were delicious. I loved them. They were beautiful. And bring me some more, sister. I would be happy to read them for you. If you want more sexy, smart words from Janine Ashbless, head on over to janineashbless.com. She's got a whole bunch of stuff ready for you. She's also a very prolific writer. She's got a ton of stuff available at Amazon.com. I encourage you to go check her out. She is fabulous. Um, I love her. I know you guys will love her. Don't forget, The Sexy Librarian's Big Book of Erotica is available in audiobook, and it's been killing it in the bestseller list. Go get your copy. Just head on over to audible.com. I will provide all the links and all the information for everything that I said Head on over to thekissmequicks.com. I will have everything there for you. It's all just a click away. I've got the author event. I'll be at the South San Francisco Public Library this Saturday, February 7th at 2 p.m. It's a weekend and it's at the library. Come and see me. I will be talking about being an erotica author, an editor, an audiobook narrator, a blogger, and a podcaster. And most of all, I just want to meet you guys and read you some sexy words. So uh, come and see me. Let's hang out. All right, you guys, head on over to audible.com. Pick up your copy of The Sexy Librarian's Big Book of Erotica. 
remember, it's 11 hours. Oh my God, you're gonna be you're gonna be satisfied for like two weeks. <laughs> I've estimated your driving time. You should be set for about two weeks, maybe longer. I don't know. <laughs> um, hey, welcome to this 2015. I am so excited to celebrate it with you. And uh, hey, many more episodes to come. Love you guys. See you soon. Revolutionary music. And you should like it and you should choose it A lot of powers that be will misuse it But don't lose it, it's your voice use it I'd like to thank the following musical artists Kai Engel Advent Chamber Orchestra Stealing Orchestra Nine Inch Nails William Fields Poddington Bear and the feature credit song, Struggle, by Kelly Mays. The Kiss Me Quicks is produced by Big Daddy Dave Carraway. in jail each and every night. Prison industry, modern day slavery. Corporations on lock and key. Big brother, he be watching me. Only privilege gets a see. If you're lucky and you're white male, then you get to be free. This is revolutionary music. You should like it and you should choose it A lot of powers that be will misuse it But don't lose it, it's your voice, use it This is revolutionary music And you should like it and you should choose it A lot of powers that be will misuse it But don't lose it, it's your voice, use it Stupid fish What? <laughs> because that is not working for have me itchy balls or itchy labia every <clears throat> You never <clears throat> have an itchy labia The thing is, is it's not whether or not I ever have itchy labia. It's about whether or not I announce it. That's what it, and then actively like just scratch it right in front of God and everybody. I'm a man. Mm, you're an ill-mannered fool. That's what you are. Man. Ugh.